Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Fred and Vanessa and Jenna and everybody else who uh, greeted us so warmly and invited us here to talk with you. And thank you for coming tonight. Has anyone here ever asked God to use them somehow in life? I have. <laughs> have you ever just sort of felt restless that you just didn't want to just go through the motions of life? You just wanted to do something that was going to matter? Okay, probably most of us, right? Well, I want to share a little bit about our story and how it all came about and uh, how God just showed us a little piece of his heart. I'm going to take you back to December of 2001. And my husband Steve and I were on a train, an overnight train in the country of Ukraine, and we were traveling from Kiev all the way down to a city called Berdansk, which was on the coast. It was a 15-hour overnight train trip. And we're in the train. If any of you have ever seen the movie Dr. Zhivago, it was like a scene right out of Dr. Zhivago. Outside, there's snow and ice. Inside, it was hot as blazes. And, it, you know, it smelled like coal and vinegar. And, uh, you know, there are little curtains on the window. We're in the little compartment. And there's a knock on the door. And this little babushka comes in with this tea and sits it down. And I'm sitting there. I had the most sleepless night you can imagine. I was just so stressed. I couldn't sleep between the heat and the worry and the concern of just feeling like, God, have you really called us here? Is, is this really you, or are we just kind of doing something crazy here? <laughs> well, that's how, how it was, and we pulled into this, this station, and as we pulled in, I'm, I'm wiping the, the, the steam off the windows. You know how the condensation builds up, and I look out, and there's this sea of faces, all of these people with big fur coats and big furry hats, and they're kind of marching around, and I, this overwhelming thought just hit me. I thought, today, I'm going to meet a little girl who is going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. She's going to be my daughter, my husband's daughter. Her children are going to be my grandchildren. And I don't know her now, but I'm going to know her before this day is out. I mean, it, it, it just blew me away. Well, how did we get here? <laughs> That's what I thought. How did we get here? Well, let me take you back. It was about the mid-'90s probably about five or six years before that. And life was pretty good for us. We were at a point in our life, we were sort of in our mid-40s, and, you know, we had a son who was practically grown and uh, had a pretty good career going. I did, and my husband had a business, and um, things were going pretty good. And I was very restless, okay? There were no big major problems. A lot of that sort of was kind of behind us, uh, some of those things. But we just... Um, we were at the point where really both of us, in different ways, were feeling restless. I'd had a really good career. I was really blessed and um, worked in television. I was a writer, producer, did a lot of on-camera stuff, and, and, and it was great. I loved it when I was able to do it, but I just did not have the passion anymore. It just, it just didn't, it was, it was dull. Didn't want to be there. Didn't want to be there. I was just checking it out. Has anyone ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a job or have you ever been doing something and you're thinking, Lord, I'm just going through the motions here. Nothing, you know. Well, that's where I was. And that's where Steve was. And we were both kind of at this place. And so we started to pray, God, use us somehow. 
do something with our life. We didn't want to waste our life. We didn't want to get to the end of our life and just felt like we'd wasted it. We'd done all the normal things that everybody does, and then it was time to die, you know? <laughs> you ever feel that way? <laughs> well, that's how I felt. So we got there, and we just started praying, and we were praying over a period of time for him to use us. And um, little by little, it seemed that God was putting something on both of our hearts, and it was adoption. Now, I have to tell you, for many people, that would be, oh, goody, that's exciting, that's great, you know, I'm, I can't wait. For me, I was scared. I was like, Lord, are you really telling us to, like, adopt? I mean, we have, like, a son who's grown. Does that mean go back and start at the beginning, you know, with, like, a baby, an infant? And I'm old, and people will laugh. They'll think I'm the grandmother, you know. I, I just... Uh, well, you know, I feel kind of, I don't know, but on the other hand, if God's asking you to do something, what do you do? Say no? I, you know, I, 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 and, and ultimately, I just kind of wavered back and forth with this fear. And you know what? It's okay when God tells you to do something to be afraid. Amen? Sometimes we're afraid. A lot of times when he tells us to do something, we're afraid. It's not easy, right? And for me, I was afraid. I really was. And, um, you know, my husband, Steve, was very much at peace about it. And he said, you know, if God's calling us to it, then don't we want to be in God's will? No matter how hard it is, don't we ultimately want to be in God's will? And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. But, And then one day I was praying, and God gave me this scripture. I couldn't remember it, so I had to write it down. <laughs> and it's out of Isaiah. And this kind of blew me away. It said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Whoa, blew me away, blew me away. And I thought, sons and daughters? I thought we're talking one child here. <laughs> Wait a minute, maybe I'm signing on for more than we think. So anyway, so we proceeded. So we started with the whole process, which involves a home study is the first thing that you do. And um, did not tell anyone, because we thought they, I knew what they would say, my friends, they would say, what are you, crazy? Are you out of your mind? You're too old, and you know, I mean, you know, all kinds of things could go wrong. And you know, we thought, yeah, that's right. And we certainly didn't have the money. We knew it was a lot of money, and we had, we did not have the money. So we thought, well, if God's in it, He's going to provide everything, right? So we started the process, the whole uh, home study process. We got to the very end of it. It took about seven months. We got to the very end of it, and. Um, the social worker said to us, okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to adopt a baby? Are you going to adopt an older child? Are you going to go overseas? Are you going to stay here? I had no idea. I mean, it was like, God, we were just putting one foot in front of the other. We had, had no idea, you know? And um, Steve said to her, you know what? Unless God puts it right at our feet, we're not taking another step. Because if he directs us, he'll show us the next step, Right? And we didn't know where else to go, so we said we waited. We waited. And then about a week later, I got a call from the uh, missions director at our church, and she said, um, 
Nancy, would you and Steve be able to go to Ukraine in a couple of weeks? Uh, we have uh, a couple who had started a ministry giving out eyeglasses, and they needed some worker bees to go and help, you know, just distribute the eyeglasses. Well, Steve couldn't go because he had a business, but I went, and I thought, and we thought, well, this is interesting. He's put this at our feet. You know, Ukraine, that's interesting. So anyway, but we thought, never mind, you know, he's asked us to go and do something, right? So, you know, let's put this off on the side. And so I went over, and the whole week we spent giving out eyeglasses and visiting and, you know, doing all this ministry. And the very last day, there was, uh, uh, we had a free day. We were all done. And so they took us around, and they took us to visit some hospitals and orphanages. And we went to two orphanages, including a baby house and then an orphanage for older kids. And um, the, the uh, elder at the church who was taking us around was an adoption facilitator. And so we sat down that night, and we talked, and we talked, and I just fired all my questions, and he had answers for every... I said, you know, we're really kind of old. He said, well, actually, most people are kind of like your age, so, you know, that's not a good excuse. I said, well, you know, <laughs> I said, well, you know, we don't really have that kind of money. That's a lot of money to do this. And he said, well, actually, you know, it turns out this is a lot less than, you know, many other places, and, you know, it went on and on, and I... And, um, Anyway, he told us about the situation, that there were hundreds and hundreds of orphanages all over Ukraine with average of 150 to 350 kids all over. Now, let me tell you something about the kids that are in the orphanages in Ukraine and Russia and the former Soviet countries. 80% of them have living parents. They don't have dead parents. I mean, they have living parents, and in some cases, they live right there in the town. But, you know, and people will say, well, well, how is that? I can't wrap my mind around that. Why would there be all these kids living in these orphanages, growing up in orphanages that have parents? Well, what happens is, you know, you go into a society like Ukraine or Russia where they've taken God out for, what, over the past, what, 70 years? And you have this communist mindset which basically says the state is going to take care of all my problems, right? And so they think, well, I can't raise my child, so it's the state's business to take care of my child. And then also you, com you combine that with alcoholism, which is huge, huge, nothing like this country, it's huge. Drug addiction, um, a lot of problems, and these children are just growing up on the streets, so they're, they're, that's why they're in the orphanages. So anyway, we got to the end of this evening. I gotta take a drink here, excuse me. We got to the end of this evening, and uh, where I was talking to this facilitator, and um, I said, well, I'm going to take this home, and I'm going to talk with my husband. We'll pray about it, and we'll see what God does. So I got home and talked with Steve, and Steve said, well, sure seems like God put it right at our feet, doesn't it? I said, I know, but, you know, we don't have that kind of money, you know? And interesting thing, when God guides you to do something, he provides, doesn't he? Amen. He does. He does. Well, one by one by one, money started coming into our household. Now, I have to tell you, this is not normal. Usually money goes out of our house <laughs> and fast, right? It sort of, it never stays. But odd things were happening. Like, for example, uh, well, we got a big tax uh, re refund that we weren't expecting. I got a contract job. Steve got another thing. I mean, it was like ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And I knew why the money was coming in. I knew why it was coming in.
it wasn't for us to do something fun, it was for this very specific thing. Well, we had a lot of delays over the course of the next year. We were supposed to go in the spring. That came, you know, that fell apart. We were supposed to go in the summer. That fell apart. Then we were supposed to go in September. We were supposed to go on September 13th, 2001. Well, does anyone remember what happened 2000, uh, September 11th, 2001? Well, we were sitting there. I was packing my suitcases. We were ready to go. And the phone rang, and my sister called and said, are you watching television? Look what's going on. And we watched it. And of course, like everybody, we were horrified about everything that was going on. And at the same time, we were like, you know, there were no planes. I don't know if you remember, but there were no planes flying then. They closed all the airports. All the planes were stopped for a couple of days. So short of God stopping the airplanes for flying, we were getting on an airplane. So we weren't going anywhere. So then it was like, God, well, what does this mean? Are we... Did we hear you wrong? Did we hear that maybe we weren't supposed to adopt? Maybe we weren't supposed to go to Ukraine. Maybe we weren't supposed to go now. I mean, you know how you do. Does anybody do this? Well, what does this mean? Well, I don't know. And you know, sometimes that's just the way it is. You just don't know this side of heaven why things happen. In this case, we did have a little insight because what happened was we stopped and then I was, again, my anxious, nervous Nelly, kind of, oh, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do, you know. <laughs> and um, we stopped, and we waited. And it just even when the airplane started flying again, we felt it just didn't seem like a safe time to leave the country, you know. It, it, everything was kind of up in the air. And we just did not have any peace at all, at all. So we decided to just wait and wait. And... Um, Anyway, round about November, that was September, so about November, all of a sudden this kind of, it sort of lifted. We just felt like this peace. It was like go. Everything inside was saying, time to go, time to go. So right before Thanksgiving, we headed over to Ukraine. And again, I was a nervous wreck. It's okay to be fearful, right? <laughs> it's okay, because God knows what we are, right? <laughs> and um, so anyway, we get over there. Well. Interesting thing happened. They, uh, we went in, what, what happens is, you know, you come in, you go to Kiev, you have your appointment with the, uh, the uh, Center for Adoption. And uh, in those days, the process was, they would give you a um, invitation to go to a particular orphanage, and you would meet the children that were available, and then you would pick one out. Now, I don't know about you, but that just scared me. It was just like, how can I do that? I had a friend say to me, now, Nancy, how are you going to do that? You can't buy a blouse without reading consumer reports. <laughs> and I thought, I know, I don't know, Lord, just make it so clear, make it so clear which one, which child, you know. And um, so we get down to the orphanage, we on this overnight train I was telling you about, and we get into the orphanage that night, and it's freezing cold, and it's dark, and there's no lights. I mean, you know, you'd see light fixtures, and maybe there'd be one light in it for every, you know, five or six that had nothing. Everything was dark, had a big heavy coat because it was freezing. You didn't take your coat off. And we go into the office of the uh, um, orphanage director, and... Um, Anyway, so she started talking to us about these three sisters, and we said, no, 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 we were only here for one, you know. <laughs> 
And um, anyway, so we waited, and then she brings the kids in one by one. Now, I have to tell you, the whole train ride, the whole way leading in there, I was nervous. I was crying. I was like, Lord, just make it so clear. Make it so clear. Make no doubts so clear who this child is. And the very first little girl they brought in, her name was Natasha. She's a little bitty thing like this. She had one of these whacked off haircuts, orphanage haircuts. They cut all their hair off, you know. And um, they bring, she brought her in and she sat her up on her knee and it was kind of like an audition. You know, she's asking her, okay, you know, read your sums, you know, like your math work and now read for us. And I thought, oh my goodness. But the moment she walked in, you know, there's only a few times in my life where I really, really felt like that's God, that's God. You know, it was like everything inside me was shouting, that's her, that's her, that's her. And I was just crying. I couldn't stop crying. I said, that's her. I know that's her. And she got up and she recited this little poem and she was all animated and as cute as a button. But then she left and they brought in more kids. And one by one, they'd bring them all. Well, they were all cute, you know? And it was like, <laughs> but I knew... I knew that I knew that that Natasha, who is now Natalie, was ours. That was our daughter. I knew it. I knew it. And after they were all, you know, all the kids have come on, Steve and I are looking at each other saying, oh my gosh, they're all so sweet. They're all so cute. And then um, after they left, then they all, the director and everybody look at us like, okay, and, and we thought, well, wait a minute, we can't make a big decision like this, just like, you know, like that. So anyway, we got outside, we got in the cab, and we started talking, Steve and I, and we both knew that it, it, was, it was Natalie. And so um, anyway, when they, they, they went back in, and they, they, they went into the room, and they told her that she was the one, and they told us that she just jumped for joy. She was so excited. And that's how it is for so many of the kids, um, you know, when they do find out that they're going to be adopted. They're just overwhelmed with excitement. Well, we got home with Natalie. Of course, we turned it to Natalie by this time, Natasha and Natalie. <laughs> Turns out she didn't know it was a different name, <laughs> but it was the same. We thought it was the same name. We were just Americanizing it. She thought we gave her a different one anyway. So <laughs> um, we got home, and right away, it was interesting. Many, many people wanted to meet her. There weren't too many people in those days that were adopting older kids. Mostly, they adopted infants. So um, we, we started the, the process, uh, you know, of, of like we would be talking to people. We went to a lot of groups and would talk about kids that were available. And then one by one, it just broke our heart for so many of the kids that were, um, who were there. So we started telling people. And um, I used to keep a little note on my computer. And it had names of lots of different kids. And we would pray for them. But about two months after we got back, uh, Steve came in to me one day. And he said, um, I think there's another one over there. And I went, Oh, no, don't make me do that trip again. <laughs> I said, we just can't. I just, it was hard. It was emotional, and it was expensive. And besides, we don't have the money. And he said, well, would you pray about it? And I said, you know, what are you going to do? Your husband says, will you pray about it? Are you going to say no? <laughs> so one day, um, I woke up in the morning, and Natalie comes bouncing in, and she bounces on the bed, and she says, mama, mama, mama you have to go back to Ukraine. And I said, what? What? What are you talking about? You have to go back to Ukraine. You have to get Angelina. She's my friend. 
And I said, who's Angelina? I've heard about Sasha, and I've heard about Tanya, and Masha, and all these others, but I've never heard you mention Angelina. Who is she? She said, oh, she's so little, and she's cute, and she, uh, you know, she was in the hospital with me before I came, and she, when I told her I was going to be adopted, she started crying, and I said, Angelina, I said, don't worry, maybe my new mama and papa will come back for you, too. <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, why didn't you tell me this before? And she said, I forgot, I just remembered. <laughs> so I thought, and so there's Steve on the other side of the room looking at me like this. And I'm going, now that doesn't mean it's God, you know, that's just... <laughs> So uh, anyway, so we started talking, and I said, well, first of all, we don't even know if she's available, because some kids are in the orphanage, and they may have parents in prison or in hospital or something, so not all of them are available for adoption. So we don't know if she's available. We don't know when she'd be available. We don't even have the money. You know, we'd already spent the money on the last one, so, you know, I don't know. So I put some inquiries out. At first, they said, no, she's not available, and she won't ever be. We said, okay, that's the end of that. Well, about a week later, I get an email saying, uh, she will be available in a year. I thought, okay. Well then, a few weeks after that, I get another email, she's available now and we're holding her for you. Wow, so we knew that God was in that one too. And in the same way, it was so extraordinary, the way it happened, what money again started coming in. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, that's not normal. I can testify that is not normal in our house. Money does not come in, okay? <laughs> but anyway, it did. And so nine months later, we were on this train, the same overnight train, going down, this was now August of 2002, down to um, Berdansk. We get there, in the summertime, the kids are all out at camp. So we drove out to the camp over those bumpy roads with big potholes, and it took us, you know, a long time to get out there. And um, while we were there, we walked into the camp. Now, we had Natalie with us. She'd been home with us nine months, right? So we, um, by this time, her hair's grown a little bit longer, and, you know, she had a cute little dress on, and we get out there to the camp, and the kids in her class are walking right by. Her classroom teacher walked by, didn't recognize her. And they had never seen a kid who had been adopted who was out, had come back. So... They, they were all walking right by her. And then all of a sudden, one girl stopped and went, Natasha? And they all kind of stopped, and they're all looking at her like this. And she's kind of doing one of these, you know. <laughs> she just couldn't even, like, she, was, she couldn't remember Russian for a start. I mean, this was nine months later. She couldn't remember it. And then, um, you know, she just felt so uncomfortable. So she stood there, and then the director starts walking towards us, and she's got little Angelina. We knew we were there for Angelina, but we'd never met her. And little bitty Angelina on one hand, and in her other hand, she held the hand of Sveta, uh, who was 14, who was 13 at that time. And Sveta came over and just reached out to, Angel, uh, to uh, Natalie and sat down with her and started to comfort her. And, so, and we were just so touched with her. We just kept thinking, wow. I mean, you know, she might think, you know, who is Miss High and Mighty to come on back? And, you know, but here she was. She had such compassion, and she just reached out to her, and we just watched her. And there was little Angelina, who was so cute, so much cuter than any pictures or anything. So we knew. So we had a lot to pray about that night, because we went back saying, do we adopt both of them? 
And lo and behold, uh, we did. We went back, we prayed all through the night, and the next night, next morning, we looked at each other and said, we got to do both. We got to do both. And uh, anyway, long story short, but the bottom line is we started the process and ran into some big delays. We had to take Angelina and leave Sveta there. Now, I have to tell you something interesting about Sveta. We call her Elizabeth now, Sveta Elizabeth Hathaway. That was, people were mispronouncing Sveta, so <laughs> Elizabeth was easier. But anyway, she had been at a camp. All she had wanted all her life was a family. Okay, she was one of eight, and she had been taken away from her family and had no family, and all she'd prayed about. So just before we got there, she had been out at another camp a long way away. It was run by Canadian Christians, and these um, Christians, you know, she had fun and whatever, but they were, you know, the one guy said, pulled her over and said, come here, I want to talk to you, and she said, she said, why are you so happy all the time? And he said to her, he said, well, I have Jesus in my heart. And she said, I don't believe any of that stuff. And she walked away. And he said, no, 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 come here, come here, I want to talk to you. And, and she said, uh, you know, she said, I don't believe that. And so he said, why? And he said, you know, he started talking to her. And she said, you know what? There's one thing I've prayed for my whole life. It's for a family. And I don't have a family. And that's what I want. And, and God, if God was there, he would have answered my prayer. And, she, and he sat with her, and he said, you know what? He said, God answers prayer three ways. He says, yes. He says, no. And, or he says, wait, right? And he said, can I pray with you right now? And uh, anyway, he did. She accepted the Lord at that time, but we, we didn't know it. You know, we didn't know it. So anyway, he prayed, and he prayed for a family. The next day, she went back to the camp that I was describing before, and she came out, and she had been praying for a family, and we met her, and we asked her to be our daughter. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story. God is good, right? <laughs> another sip, excuse me. Well, another thing happened. We got home. We had, so in the course of a year, we did three adoptions. And um, when we brought the kids back, you know, we would share. A lot of people wanted to hear about it. You know, we got interviewed, and we, you know, people would want to know. And then uh, this snowball effect started to happen. Other people, we would share about this child we knew, or this little girl, or this boy that we knew, and and people were like moved, and they wanted to do something. And we were blown away by one by one. We just kept seeing this snowball effect of people adopting, and they were going over and adopting. And um, my heart just burned for the kids that were left behind. It was just like, God, you know, there's only but so much we can do. What can we do? What can we do for these kids? I mean, they're brokenhearted. You know, you go into an orphanage, even the better ones, and the orphanage our girls came from was one of the better ones, but it's still an orphanage. Even the director of the orphanage said to us, kids need a family. They don't need an orphanage. It's an institution. You know, you go in there, and the little ones will hang on your leg, and they'll say, are you my mama? Have you come to get me? You know, uh, the older ones will say, you know, I'll, I'll clean your house, and I'll sweep the floor for you if you'll, you know. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what can I do? And, you know, so many times, even when I go over to Ukraine quite a bit, and uh, the kids will say to me, can you find me a family? And I said, you know what? Only God can do that. 
God knows what's right for you, but I will pray for you. I will pray that the desire of your heart for a family will be there, and I'll share the story about you and, and let God go. So, you know, time went on, and in those early days, the early 2000s, we used to bring over groups of kids. We brought over, there was a, a, a play called The Old Russian Shoemaker. I don't know if any of you remember it, but it was a musical, and it came from Kiev, and the story involved orphans, and the orphans in the story were real orphanages, orphans from orphanages in Ukraine, and we would tour several churches. We did it three years in three different years, 2004, 5, and 7, and we watched as so many of those kids got adopted. And then as families went over there and met the, the kids, they kind of had that same burning passion. Oh my gosh, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And so they would share it, and then other kids would get adopted. But you know what? The bottom line is most kids are not going to get adopted. Most of them don't get adopted. And one thing that was just on my heart so much, I really felt like God had given me a vision of homes, homes for kids who age out of the orphanage. Because see, what happens in the former Soviet countries is the kids have to leave the orphanage at 16 and they're on the streets. I mean, these are kids who've never done anything for themselves. Somebody's prepared their meals, somebody's cleaned up, so they don't even know how to boil water many times, they don't know how to clean, they don't know how to manage money. It, it, all the basic things that you think that you've learned just growing up in a family, they've never had that to learn, they've never learned it. So they're totally ill-equipped for the world. And what happens is the statistics are pretty horrific for when they get out. Within two years after leaving the orphanage, 20% um, was about 15% of them end up committing suicide. 70% of the boys are on drugs. 60% of the girls find themselves in prostitution. And many, many of them find themselves in the, drug tra in the uh, sex trafficking throughout Europe. And, um, because what happens is, you know, they're orphans. Nobody comes looking for them. So they're an easy mark. They, f they answer an ad or somebody tells them about a glamour job, you know, being a, a, a model or a nanny in, you know, France or Germany. And they think, oh, that's great. And, of course, they get there and their passports are taken. And they're, they're prisoners. And so many of the kids, the statistics are really bad. And, you know, another thing that just it triggered for me was many people would ask us when the kids came home, wow, so did it take them a long time to learn English? Or, I mean, how was it? How was the adjustment? And, um, you know, it really it didn't. Three, four, five months, it's all English. It just turns so quickly, especially when they're little. It, it just goes so quickly. And um, it, it took a little while to get used to our food. You know, within a year, I think probably everybody was used to the American food. You know, it took a little while for that. But the biggest thing that kids, the biggest adjustment is living in a family. They don't know what that looks like. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, you know, these are the people who then grow up and then marry and have children, and they are now, you know, making families of their own, and they haven't a clue what a functioning family looks like. They don't know what a, a, a Christian with a healthy marriage looks like. They haven't a clue. And, and at the time, I just really felt like, you know, the vision of a home for kids who age out of the orphanage, I thought that it would be something to just get 
get them out of the rain, you know, get a roof over their head. But God had so much more in mind. And as our homes began to open, one by one, we now have six homes. I'm moving a little fast here. We have six homes now, but in the beginning, I, I, I realized that it was much, much more than that. So what we have in our homes is they are homes of discipleship, first of all. They have house parents, and they, um, it, and I have to tell you, it didn't happen this quickly. There were a lot of years of, I knew that God had put it on my heart, and, um, you know, I, it just seemed like, gosh, we just had so many stops and starts and so many things that were going wrong, and I thought, oh, Lord, I, I'm not sure that this is really you, you know, but eventually, I think the first house we opened was 2008, so it was a, and then now, like I said, there are, there are six of them, and we've got two more next year, it looks like will be opening. But anyway, the homes, what we, the, we have distinctives with our homes. They're small and family-like because the idea is for kids to learn to see what a family looks like, to grow, to be there um, with Christian house parents. So they see a healthy model of a family, and they participate, and they, they still go to school, like they go to trade school, some may go to university, but during the day they're there or, you know, at night, and they, they, they live there. And usually the kids will stay between two to three, a couple occasions, we've had four years, but usually it's been two to three years, and then they'll, they'll get up and get on their own. But what we've, I've been so excited to see with these homes is how God has really changed hearts. We have, now we've had, we're into like our third generation of kids that have come through, and we have four kids who are now missionaries. We have, amen, yeah, it's only God could do that. One is in India, two, three of them are in Kyrgyzstan. I mean, this is, this is a, a Muslim country. This is not somewhere that an American missionary can go, but a Ukrainian missionary can go there. We have several kids that are in Bible college studying to be pastors. We have several, we have two that are now house parents and we have others that want to be house parents because their whole life has changed in these homes. And it, it, it just blows me away when I get there and I see how well so many of them are doing. Now, it's not for everyone. Some kids come in and they say, no, not for me. But the ones who stay have done really, really well. And I'd like to show you, introduce you to four of our kids in this video. I was 10 years old when I ended up in the orphanage. Later in trade school, I started drinking and smoking becoming a lonely, hard-hearted person. My mother, who gave birth to me, left me abandoned, lying on the street. A policeman found me and gave me the name. Just leave it after the name of the street. I come from a family with nine children. Each of us had a different father, and we were placed in an orphanage because of alcohol abuse. When we were young, my parents started drinking and stopped taking care of us, so we ended up in the orphanage. 
I always hoped that my parents would come to their senses, but it never happened. At 16, kids have to leave the orphanage, and they are not prepared for life. They go to trade schools, and the trade schools are very, very rough. Alcoholism, drug abuse, the girls are raped, there's no locks on the door, and so typically the kids leave and they drift. Heart for Orphans is committed to helping these children transition to a healthy lifestyle, a lifestyle with Christ at the center, so that they become healthy adults. Because if you've only ever lived in an institution, how do you know what a family looks like? At the orphanage, they lived a protected life, taken care of by the teachers who kept them under strict control. They need to know what a family is supposed to be like, to experience it, and to love the same way that they are being loved. Even though I was only 19 years old, I was already an experienced alcoholic. I became pregnant and had a fight with the father of the baby. He left me so I was alone. I don't have parents so no one could help me. I wanted to have an abortion. It was so hard. I didn't want this child to grow up the way I did. I wanted to be in a family. I prayed and asked God, if you gave me this baby, there must be a reason. I don't want him to be abandoned to live on the streets. Natasha first came to us in December before New Year's. I see her now as a loving mother, not someone who wanted to give up her baby, but a mother who is ready to die for her son. I truly accepted Jesus in my heart. Even though I knew about him before, I didn't believe. Now he has changed my life. When I came here, I got what I wanted. I found a family that loves me and takes care of me. I became a part of the family. I'm no longer an orphan. In the orphanage, people used to tell me, they find you in a garbage can. Everybody laughed, but I felt such a pain inside. An old friend, Sasha, started telling me about God, and he told me to read the Gospel of John. One day we were sitting together and he asked me, are you ready to accept Jesus? I answered, yes. Dima has changed greatly since he arrived here. He has been told a lot that he is a nobody and that he would never accomplish anything in life. My biggest dream in the orphanage was to have someone pay attention to me, someone who would notice if I was missing. When I saw that Andre and Alona and even Jesus himself care about me, my heart really started changing. I remember when I was a little boy, we had a piano in our room, in our school, and I really liked how it was played. Andre saw my desire to learn how to play. I saw a spark of talent at Dima, and I started giving attention to this and teaching him to play. When he realized he was capable of something beautiful, his inferiority complex started to tumble down. He started teaching me simple tunes. It was hard at first, but I was slowly and eagerly coming along. I started wondering if I could glorify God by playing the piano. Now I am sure it would please God and give back to Him what He has given me.
I used to dream of finishing school and finding a good job, having a family. But the reality was different. I saw that in this life, I couldn't find such happiness. But when I came to this house, I saw a totally different reality, a different life with a different meaning. When Ilya arrived here, we welcomed him as one of us. We started talking to him and he accepted Jesus into his life, changing him greatly. When I came to this house, they showed me how family works. With Christ, I felt like a different person. My heart was filled with love, and which I wanted to share with others. Ilya was one of the first who started working in the woodworking shop to learn how to make things with his own hands. He learned this trade very quickly. And whenever he would make a mistake, I would say, it's okay, don't worry, we'll start over again. I had a girlfriend in trade school who left me. After I became Christian, she called and asked to get back together. My answer was, I knew Jesus would never leave me, and He loves me more than anyone could. Later, when she accepted Christ, we were baptized and we decided to become a couple and get married. We are going to become house parents and serve the young people that are very much like we used to be. I'm happy that these homes give hope for the future and show the love to the hopeless. After I graduated from the orphanage, I was living in the trade school dorm. Sex and drinking were everywhere, so when I came to the Lord, it was difficult to stay there. When I was told that I could come live here at Esther's house, it was such happy news to me, because as I realized later, it became my home and my family. Nadezhda Ivanovna is like a mother to us. When things are hard, I can go to her, and I know that she will open up her heart for me. She truly showed Christ to me. She has taught us how to cook, we make meals together, how to shop for the things we need, and how to manage money. At the orphanage, it never felt like a family. I just felt abandoned. But here, I feel like this is home because of the care and the love. I am so happy that I now have plans for the future. I want to have a family of my own. This is the job the Lord has given to us, to take care of the teens. They get care in the orphanage, but the thing they are missing is family. You can make a difference in the lives of these kids. You can watch them go from despair to hope. This is God's heart for orphans. We have uh, some more information out there, so if you all want to get any, any more information when we're over, um, we can give you that. Um, one thing that has just been on my heart that I did, did want to share with you is, you know, this is something, you know, we prayed that God would use us, and this is something that 
he did. I mean, he blessed. There's no way you could do this yourself. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't do this by yourself. God's got to do it. And, and he just grew this, and, you know, this ministry has just grown, and we, we're really blessed to be part of it. But there is so much need all over the world. Every time I go overseas, I mean, just, I go to Ukraine a lot, obviously, but I mean, everywhere, and there's so much need right here. I would encourage you, keep praying, ask God to show you what he has for you, because he's got a unique thing that's just for you, just for you and nobody else. I'll tell you a quirky little thing. You know, when I was in high school, I studied Russian. Why? <laughs> it was kind of cool. I thought it'd be different. You know, never used it, never used it all the years. And then lo and behold, it just shows you that God created, put us in something that was just specifically for us. And he's got something very unique. I mean, there's so much need. So I would really encourage you, pray that he reveals to you and, and be prepared. It's going to be a haul probably. I'm imagine it'll be a long wait. But anyway, you know, I mean, he just kind of, it doesn't happen overnight is what I'm saying. It seems like it takes time. But that's okay, right? We have a lifetime. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I want to just close with a little quick um, thank you from our kids in Ukraine. Thank you for thank you for thank you hard for oceans. Thank you hard for orphans. Thank you hard for Offense. <laughs> Thank you, hard for, for orphans. Thank you, hard for orphans. Hard for orphans. Thank you, hard for orphans. Hard for orphans. Thank you, hard of orphans. Hard of orphans. Thank you, hard for orphans. 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 Thank you. 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 Thank you, Nancy. I'm going to ask Kevin to come up and play the keys. Can you do that for me? Thank you. This is this is how I want to close. He's a good sport, isn't he? Why don't you stand with me? Let's do it this way. You know, every, every week we pray about a verse that, that you see in the video announcements at the end. We call it our life verse that just we feel is going to speak to the moment. So I really felt like this verse in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, was going to be important for us tonight. It says, we are God's masterpiece. But why don't we read it like a letter that God wrote to you? You are God's masterpiece. And I created you in Christ Jesus so that you could do good things that I planned for you long ago. God, we pray for all of us tonight that, that you're either going to give us a vision that we're supposed to create like you gave Nancy and Steve. Or you're going to give us somebody else's vision that we're supposed to make happen. 
but that we're supposed to be a part of something bigger than ourselves with this life that you've given us. You don't call us a masterpiece because we're pretty. You don't call us a masterpiece because we're perfect. You don't call us a masterpiece because you made us better than all the people that are standing around us. You call us a masterpiece because you see yourself inside of all of us. And you call us a masterpiece because of the work that we give ourselves to, to this life that you've given us to give. You call us a masterpiece because you see the vision that you are going to cause to come alive in each of us. Oh God, find in us soil that is fertile, that gives life to vision. Whether it be for the orphans in Ukraine or some vision that's yet to be created in this world, a work that's yet to be done, if it's something that's brand new, even in our fear, find us courageous to take the steps that you put in front of us. And if it's somebody else's vision that you ask us to champion, oh God, that we would run after it with all that we are. Maybe it's going to be, God, that somebody's going to write a letter to you at the end of this year. And in that letter, they're going to say, thank you for giving me a heart for orphans. Maybe the orphans of the Ukraine. Whatever our letter is going to say, oh God, we can't wait to write them because we know that you are a good God and that you're going to do great things and that we are your masterpiece. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.